Welcome to the Color Auntie Podcast. My name is Grace, joined by my co-host, Kozan. And we are so glad that you're here with us. We're just your northern girls trying to live our best life. We're here to help you through those dreadful morning commutes, or if you're just wanting to hear Quay out of things you may be experiencing, because both Quay and I have been there. We don't really know what we're doing in life, but we're hoping to figure it out with you along the way. <laughs> yeah. So listen, your podcast aunties love ya. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Color Auntie podcast. We're so excited to have a guest with us. She is an auntie, sister, daughter, cat mom, and doctor. She's a proud Métis woman. She's a former U.S. resident, resident um, and she's highly educated. And we're so lucky that we were able to get to know you um, as all previous, hum- oh, I was a previous Humber student. Quay was always an employee, but she's got a bachelor degree of social science of criminal justice from Humber College, a master of science in criminal justice administration from Niagara University in Lewiston, New York, and a doctorate of philosophy, criminal justice from the University of Arkansas, Little Rock. She also obtained her, obtained her Indigenous Knowledge Certificate and Child Advocacy Certificate from Humber College. So we welcome Natalie Snow. Thank you. Welcome, Nat. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Grace and Quay. It's nice to have another cat mom on the show. Yep. I I love my cats. (laughs) (laughs) They're my best friends. (laughs) Grace, I don't think you knew this, but Nat was really like instrumental in helping me when I got cats. Oh, really? Like I turned to her and I was like, what do I do now? Because cat was just thrown on me, right? She was like, I was half JK, JKing. I was half just kidding about getting an animal. And then my friend Miquan just showed up on my door and was like, okay, here's your cat you said you wanted. And I was like, Nat, what do I do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I went and visited her. Quay had to travel for work like a week and a half after she got her. And she's like, we go visit her. I'm like, of course. And I went in and um, played with Cat uh, and we oh. went out. <laughs> <laughs> and you got her as a kitten or was she already like a cat so tiny like a tiny kitten oh yeah she's my cat then <laughs> oh. i thought about getting a cat to add to just like no. so we have a dog and he's like a pretty big dog but i'm just like how cute would it be if like him and a cat were like friends like i don't know two dogs would seem like a lot of work so i'm like oh maybe a cat like i don't know just to like give them some company. <laughs> That's why I have two cats so that the other one has company. I think that they're more friends than they probably are. <laughs> but I'm like, you two could be best friends when I'm at work, when I'm not home. And um, they don't sleep together. They don't, but they don't hate it. They don't fight really. They, they sometimes have, we, I call it fat guy fighting because they're both big kitties and it's like patty cake. <laughs> and then that, then they, one rolls on his back and then the other one walks away so it's not nothing intense but I, I wanted them to like you know the pictures you see on Instagram with the cats and they're sleeping together in like a little bed and or and I wanted that but it never happened but cats and dogs can do that <laughs> and I think it's important somebody told me a vet told me that you need to get the dog first and then the cat as a kitten second yeah. so the kitten will grow up knowing the dog yeah and like yeah. still being like a puppyish, like Frank is. Yeah. And then I think like if you do get one, this is the perfect time. Yeah. 
Yeah, because um, like m- one of my cats, he's afraid of wind and he's afraid of sound because he was there was nothing, like he wasn't around it. So even other people come over, he hides because he's not used to it. Um, so the best time is to have a kitten and then with the dog and then they grow up and not knowing that normally they're like, you know, cartoon enemies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> scared of the wind. That reminds me of Nico. He was scared of the wind. And oh, yeah. I think he, I don't think he understood like what it really was. And he'd be like, I hear the wind. I'm like, oh no. Like, <laughs> you'd like get scared of it. <laughs> But Quay, do you want to give like a background of what this this episode's about? Yeah, so before we get into the topic, though, I wanted to prelude everyone to stay tuned because we're going to talk about an important stat that came out or that people got more notion of that this week was that the now 30% of women incarcerated are Indigenous in Canada. So we have Dr. Nat in the building who's going to help us review that stat, talk about it. Um, but before we get into it, I wanted to talk more about like um, you, Nat. So we met you during, your, like Grace had said, when you guys were students at Humber. Um, and then I wanted to, but we met you, we were all at different points of our life. So what had influenced you to start your journey from like, degree to doctor and what were you doing before um so before I went back to school I was actually funny enough working I worked midnight security at Humber Lakeshore campus (laughs) and uh I I used to uh, open the school up for everybody in the or open the doors in the morning and I just did my rounds at night because I worked uh, midnight to 8 a.m and it was then that I was so at Humber, they have Lakeshore campus, they have, uh, they have all the, they used to, I haven't been there in a while, but they have the, the program books. And so I would, obviously there wasn't a lot going on between midnight and 8am and you had, to, I, <laughs> you had to stay awake. So I, I was reading course books and then there's also access to free newspapers. So they had the National Post and the Toronto Star um, in two different buildings. So I'd read those every night between my rounds and I read a book review about um human trafficking in Canada and it was uh by Benjamin Perrin and so I went home and bought the book when I uh, and then I read it while I was at work and then I'm like what can I do to 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 help or what can I do so that's when then I was in C building which is the home of uh community and social services and I saw the degree program for CJ so I signed up I applied and I got in and I went back to school to, I was just planning to do my undergrad uh, because I was older and I also, I just really wanted a job and uh, to get out there. But then, um, so Niagara University has a bridging program with, from Humber. So all, what I got to do was write three extra papers and I got nine credits towards my master's degree um through Humber this Humber um and Niagara bridging program so I did that so um then I said you know what and then I thought about it I said I'm already a bit older than people let me give myself an edge by getting my master's because I could get it done in like a year and a half and the good thing with the Niagara program was that it was uh for working professionals so the classes were in the evening 
Um, and Niagara, it might seem far. It's right across the border though in Lewiston, New York. It probably takes me less time to drive there than it does like downtown Toronto from my current <laughs> residence. So I was like, you know what, I, if I can make it work. So I signed up um, and then it was during that program that I met uh, my, well now she's my mentor, Dr. Dana Raditz. And she studies gender-based violence. She focuses more on intimate partner violence, but um, I, and I'm more focused on uh, sexual violence, but she yeah. really encouraged me. She said, you have, you have a knack with your writing. And I think you would be benefit. I think it would be a, a great opportunity for you to continue your PhD. And I was like, I don't think so. Cause I need to work and make money. <laughs> um, and I don't know, she, we would talk about it and I looked into it and it seemed really interesting. And so I applied to, I actually only applied to really one school. Um, and I said, if I don't get in here, cause it really wasn't, uh, I didn't have a big dream of being a PhD, uh, but I, I really liked what, it, what would come with it, which is like research and health and community advocacy. So uh, I applied, I got in, and then that's how, and then I moved to Arkansas in uh, uh, August of uh, 2017. And uh, that was a shocker. <laughs> that was wild. <laughs> you were shocked? Uh, yeah, even though, I mean, I did not in any rich way thought, think it was going to be like here, meaning culturally and just all oh, attitudes, but um it was wild when I got down there and I, I drove down I had I sadly had put one of my cats down like a uh, two weeks before I left my big girl Carly and so me and Miles which is I still have Miles him and I drove down um in August because school starts August 15th down there mid-August uh nobody oh. told me that until like I found out three weeks before which was very <laughs> handy uh to move to another country and uh, Miles and I got in the car. It was so hot and my air conditioning broke on my way to Windsor. So right oh. at the beginning. And I had poor little Miles. He was sweating in the car and he's like <sighs> panting. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm feeding him water from a bottle. And then my, I remember my mom calls. And this, so at the time I, I was crossing the Ambassador Bridge, which is the Detroit-Windsor Bridge. And um, they had... <laughs> there was construction on the bridge. So I ended up waiting three and a half hours to even get on the bridge. Oh, but when, no. You know, when you cross at Windsor, you take that long street, the highway, it's like highway two, but right off the 401. And I sat there and I kept, I pulled off because I had to fix my, check on my cat. And I'm like, please don't die on me, Miles. And then my mom called and I'm like, Miles is dying and I am sweating. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, mom. And then we ended up, finally got across. So I was supposed to, my initial plan was to drive about six, seven hours a day. And I was going to take three days to, to get down there. Um, and I was in the car till almost 9.30. I got to my first stop because I was staying down in Troy, Ohio. And I had okay. left at like 8.30 in the morning. So it was a oh. long, hot day. And I just, and then I get to the hotel and they're like, we don't allow animals. And then I was in tears. And then the ladies just felt bad for me because I told her, like, I got stuck at the bridge and my cat was going to die. And she, she's like, just, if, if you get caught, say you didn't tell me. I'm like, that's not a problem. He doesn't even meow. So we're fine. So we went in, had a shower and I went to bed. Yeah. So. Oh, Miles. got out of there. Yeah, <laughs> that totally would make me cry too. Like I hate getting yeah. stuck in traffic. Oh my god. Yeah, and it was so hot. It was like 
August, I think it was like 37 degrees outside. And I mean, you're not that it, it's a bit better, at least if you're moving because you have the wind coming in. But I'm sitting, I had a little Ford Toyota Echo or Ford Echo. So anyways, it was tiny. And I'm in the middle of all these transport trucks trying to get on the bridge. So there's like no air. It's just hot. I'm sweating. The cat's sweating. By the time I got to Kentucky, I would buy, I'd stop and get um, big water bottles and I'd put one I put it on Miles's back because he was sitting on the front seat with me yeah and he started to get better and so we both like put water bottles like I'd be like dumping it on my head because it was so hot and, it, and Arkansas is very very humid so as the as I continued south it was just it was unbelievable hot that I've never experienced and not like the Caribbean it was dry and humid and just nasty and I'm like I actually bought shorts I don't own shorts before this I don't I'm not a fan <laughs> But I went to uh, Target and bought like seven pairs because I'm like, I have to start wearing shorts. It is too hot to pull off this Capri thick. Capri thick, you cannot. So you no. changed your fashion, you changed your location. You That's right, yeah. <laughs> you did a lot for this. Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. So during, okay, so during, during your whole school journey, what was the most important non-academic thing you learned? Um, I think that you have to be your biggest cheerleader. Um, you there's always support from your friends and your family but um, if you really want want something or you need really need, you know want to move forward and, and, and push is that you need to be your biggest cheerleader we all have doubts that you know it's in academia that they talk a lot about um, imposter syndrome uh, but you know what we need to realize is that we've made it to that point we're, we're at that point, we know what we're talking about. We know what we're doing. We know what we want. So really just um, mm -hmm. like motivating yourself, which can be very hard at times, but really pushing yourself and not, not to be pushy or um, overly aggressive, but you, you really just need to like, you have the skills, you can do this and like, just do it and kind of get it, get it, get it started and, and speak up and yeah. free yourself. What I liked what you said, because um, I feel like a lot of people either need like the passion or that like that will of change. And you had both like you were, you know, reading those books and reading the papers and wondering, like, how can I help this? How can I make any change? Yeah. And that's what led you to your programs and were able to like be that cheerleader for yourself throughout yeah. all those programs. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it, it you really need to want to have that and the motivation and and know that like I wouldn't have gotten accepted to a PhD if if I was garbage or potato. My friend likes to say I'm a potato. I wouldn't and, and you need to remember that because sometimes it can be even with work or whatnot you can be very um, not just demotivated but very down or being like I'm not sure about this and just have confidence in yourself and have confidence in your own skills. You're, you're there for a reason. They hired you for a reason. They accepted you for a reason. You got this. And just remember that and be a big cheerleader. Yeah. Also be kind of pushy sometimes when you need to be like, if you really want something or you feel that there's a direction, you, you know what you're talking, you have, you know what you're talking about. I think a lot of times, um, especially us as women, we're told, you know, you don't be aggressive, don't, because you don't want to, uh, or that you're seen as uh, bitchy or bossy which those same skill sets and men are not, are not talked about the same way. Right. So, but we really need to, we know what we're talking about. We're experts in, in our, each of our own lives and, and knowledge base. 
and we just really need to have the confidence in it and say, and say something and then have other hopefully other people support us um, but women you know really have that backup from other groups other people around you but, yeah or like even in the workplace too like I find that sometimes fires or things get put out and fixed by women because that's like the gender roles that we play in society that like we will just fix it like don't worry the the women on the team will fix it because of the like the nurturing stuff stuff we're supposed to have ingrained in us and I I love that one meme that's like am I intimidating or are you intimidated like there's a difference yes yes and then the other one's like are am I being a bitch or are you just conditioned to believe that women are supposed to be kind and nice to you all the time? Yes. That I like, like yeah. that one is the one that I like too. Like, <laughs> why do I have to be nice to you? I don't even know you. Like exactly. I'll be kind and respectful, but yeah. I'm going to. Wait, yeah. was that first one you said, was that a meme with Oprah from the <laughs> Harry and <laughs> I don't think it's from that, but it could be, but I think remember it was like, were Oprah did say something like that like are you I can't remember it was like were you forced or I don't know yeah (laughs) if it's not a meme we should make one (laughs) yeah (laughs) so Natalie were you in the states when COVID happened yes um I was uh in Arkansas I was in Little Rock and at the time I was um, doing so we were doing in our third and fourth year of our PhD uh, my program set up a essential it's, it's a placement but it's like a co-op so I we were all placed with different agencies uh, throughout the state um, I was cur- I was working with the juvenile justice division of the uh, Department of Human Services I think is what they call it and uh it was wild because I mean, uh, Arkansas is uh, is a state that is very uh, independent. <laughs> I guess you could say, or their own free thinking, uh, which a lot of times contradicts science. <laughs> um, they they had very set opinions of. And, and as this progressed, it like they never locked down. That was one of the only states in the United States that didn't lock down. It ended up being, um, but they when it when it first started hitting. So the first case actually happened in Arkansas um, in a Pine Bluff, which is only about forty minutes away from us. And I remember reading it in the, on the news, and then they were talking about it in the office. And at the same time, though, it got to Ark because Arkansas is like in the center, south center of, of the United States. We border Texas and Louisiana. So it, I mean, it takes a while. It had already hit New York, it was coming down. And then I watched the Canadian news often. Um, every day I would watch, cause CTV lets you watch it the next day, same with CBC. So uh, I could see what was happening everywhere else, but Arkansas, we were very slow to respond. And then I was like having mild panic attacks. Cause I'm like, what should I do? What should I do? Um, and then on the weekend, so that was like the Monday, Tuesday, and then the, and then I, I talked to um, a professor, I won't say who, because I told her I would never reveal it, but she, I said, I don't know what to do. I want to go home. This is a global pandemic. She was, I think you should go home and just whatever the consequences are, whatever they, they are, because like we weren't shutting down necessarily. Then, they, then our school made a choice to shut down. All the schools did, 
Um, but then, so at the same time on the Monday, uh, well, I called my uh, grad coordinator and I explained like what's happening. And I'm like, listen, I want to go home. Uh, and then I said, let's wait till, or she's like, okay, well, what's happening at, at home? And I'm like, well, I have nothing down here. I have nobody. I have really crappy health insurance. And I also, I don't know what you guys are doing. And I don't like my lease expires in May. I, I just don't want to be here. So this was in March. Then um, I, Trudeau announced on the Monday that uh, the borders were closing. And although I'm a Canadian citizen and I knew I could get always home, I used that as my, my crutch to say, I need to go home. So I called my program coordinator and I said, listen, they're closing the borders on Thursday or Friday. I need to get home. So I packed up my two bedroom apartment and put it into storage. I, okay. well, I put as much as I could. I ended up storing other stuff at two other people's houses because I had so much stuff. And then my car was full with me and the cats. And I was on the road to Canada Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, um, no, no, Wednesday. And then I was at the border. I was at the Detroit border on Thursday evening at eight o'clock. Yeah. And then I came home um, and it, that was the busiest I've ever seen that border. And it was because um, I read um, they, I read that everybody, or that there was over a million people returning to Canada that week once he, cl once he closed the border. So uh, I, I quarantined like I was supposed to, and then I ended up having, so with your PhD, you do these things called a comprehensive exam. And my copy, our, at UA Little Rock, we used, uh, we create, we wrote our own article. So I was looking at, uh, I requested data from a, 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 a third party, and it, but it had to be secure so it was in our secure data lab I was looking at um uh what was I looking at uh <laughs> factors that predict uh help-seeking behavior among indigenous women in America uh so the data set had to be stored um on our in our secure data lab so I was in the middle of that process when I got there or when I when I left and then so I that all had to be pushed back um I couldn't work on the revisions because I didn't have access to the data. So I ended up having to return again in August uh, to drive down. I emptied out my storage. I gave most of my storage stuff, most of my materials to uh, uh, a, a domestic violence shelter. And I actually dropped off at a, a person's new apartment. I gave them, I had a pullout couch and my uh, futon couch and a whole bunch of stuff, uh, gave it back. I put as much as I could in my car and uh, I didn't have the cats with me, which with because I was only there for a month and I stayed at a hotel for the month and then I uh I stayed for yeah the month finished my comprehensive exam and then I uh crossed back over the uh, September I think it was like September 5th and okay. I rescinded my visa I, I did all that and I haven't been back since <laughs> so oh wow so yeah. after your comprehensive were you finished or did you have to do online work still uh well the lucky for me is that my all my coursework was done so the only thing I had to do was my dissertation um so I worked on my dissertation uh from here and uh, my my chair which is Dr. Bob he uh he would him and I would meet on a weekly basis and my and because I so I did my dissertation I looked at the MMIW social movement um mm -hmm. online Twitter presence so I looked at how it's being how it's being framed um, online uh, through Twitter, and that data I collected myself, so I didn't have a secure data lab. So I have the actual data, so it worked out that I could um, 
I could do it here, which was really beneficial. Because I don't know, it would have been, I mean, we did online, we, they ended up continuing online courses for a bit. But if I think if I was at a different spot, my PhD, my decision to stay or go. Oh, so I guess, so back in July of 2020, uh, the president at the time, he changed the rules for, so there's residency requirements for your F1 visa. And in March, they they pulled back those rules because of COVID so that international students could go home. But then in July, he had tried to put forward um, uh, legislation saying that if a school goes online, all international students have to leave within 60 days because part of the conditions is that I take in-person classes uh, with F1 visa. And then, so I went to my department and said, okay, this is what's coming back. There's schools fighting this, but and then they gave me the choice. So I either resent my, I uh, give up my visa, my stipend, sorry, and I do my dissertation from home, but I don't get paid. Or I stay, go back to Arkansas, work at, uh, work, my work at my placement and do my dissertation in Arkansas. I chose to come back, so. <laughs> or stay or return so i'm like no i don't i think it's too volatile and i I, th I made the right decision where i from where i was in my program so and so now that you are a professor how have you gotten through covid mentally emotionally physically and even spiritually um the first little bit i don't know i i, I was teaching online at euler ua little rock for my, my during my dissertation year uh, but those classes were set up to be online so I don't think it really impacted me or it, it was a seven-week course so it was pretty it was straightforward and, and it was meant to be online and the students there was no class time or anything um, now that I'm teaching I'm a part-time faculty at Humber College it's a little bit different because I do have class times and and, and myself uh, I struggle with talking to black screens um, I and I and I do understand the the challenges with some people turning on their cameras and I'm not that's why I would never say you have to turn on your camera but it's also it's very hard to engage with people when nobody when you don't even know if they're watching or listening um, I found it to be incredibly uh, hard to teach online uh, a, a typical face-to-face -face class uh, so um, some of the things I've done uh, well I, I talked with other professors about it which helps me because then I also now know that I'm not the only one not that I thought I was but they're going through the same thing so even seasoned professors they're not having people turn on their cameras and uh, and that it's, it is a struggle for them from the used to face-to-face -face. I really started I've started painting and I paint my numbers because I'm really bad at it, but that you can't tell when I'm done. So I printed, I painted a cat, a cat picture for my niece. <laughs> Working on like a thing. So I, I enjoy doing the painting and I've started baking a bit. Oh, and I, yeah, I'm not uh, with the baking, but baking uh, hard. it's hard. It is. Yeah. And essentially, I don't have a mixer, and they're like, "Oh, don't overmix." And I'm like, "What does this even mean? How do I overmix?" And, and like the folding. Oh, remember, I had to learn what folding was too. <laughs> well, remember Shit's Creek fold the cheese in? Did you watch that? <laughs> okay, well, there's a scene, and then with Dan Levy and uh, Moira. Anyways, um, so I do that, and I think it's just I also go out for walks a lot. I think it's really important at this time because you do spend so much time in front of your, la your laptop uh, for work. 
and for is to take that time away from any sort of screen. So I like to walk around uh, where I live. Uh, we have a park, and so I, I do two laps of that normally. And I, even when it's cold, the only time I don't really go is when it's raining because I don't. Yeah. But, so I found that helps as well. But you know, it's, it's not that bad. Like when you bundle up and it's cold though, it's not no, that bad. Oh no, no, you just oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Wear your coat. Wear a hat, <laughs> and actually, I start to kind of sweat, and I'm like, oh. But uh, yeah, the winter, I, I don't know. I, I find like, yeah, there's good and bad like periods. Like when we started to slowly open up and, you know, not that I was out going out doing a whole bunch of things, but just that opportunity, it wasn't, it was a lot easier to adjust or to be online a lot. But then once things start, I find like closing in or the numbers start going up and like things change a lot, then I get a lot more, um, what is it? Pan well, not panic per se, but it just, it then I find, being stuck in, inside your house or being stuck is becomes a lot more overwhelming and real. So mm -hmm. I just walking, painting, baking. I've watched a lot of TV. <laughs> <laughs> I caught up on all the ones people talked about when I was in my PhD. Yeah. I've seen them now. So you'd recommend Schitt's Creek? I, yeah, I was, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, I really liked um, the mayor of Easttown. Uh, oh. it's on with uh Kate Winslet that one was really good oh I really got into um remember I told you I got into downtown Abbey this during this pandemic downtown Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like I never not that I never I had it I found it so hard to get into before the pandemic but then now that I had time to like sit and pay attention like yeah. I was hooked <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. And when they're going, I love that show. I've watched it, um, the series twice. And can I tell you, funny story, when I went, so the movie, when the movie came out, I was living in Arkansas and I begged my friend, come see that. I'm like, I'll pay for you. Just come to this movie with me. I went to the very first screening from the day. <laughs> it was me and a girl from my class or from, my, uh, she's a master's student. And then everybody else was like 75 plus. <laughs> but we were excited. We're like, yay, Downton. And I saw yeah, it. Downton. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. So then I was at the movie theater and I'm like, oh my God. And she had never watched Downton. So I'm like, okay, so this is Mary Crawley. And blah, 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 blah. Trying, but I'm trying to pay attention at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, I went to opening day of uh, Downton Abbey in Arkansas. That's so funny. Yeah. I love that. Okay. What? You briefly named them. What are um, what are your cats' names and why? I was going to name them. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Um, my cats' names are Miles and Hank. Uh, I named him Miles. I don't know why. He just he was a cute little white kitty, and he reminded me of a baby polar bear because I got him. I was living on Lake Shore, and this guy came into the. I lived on top of a grocery store. It was when I was going, I just started at Humber doing my undergrad and this guy comes into the grocery store and he's giving the owners a cat. And I'm like, oh, there's a cute cat. Oh, I want a cat, another one. And he's like, come to my house. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I walked out like sure with this guy and then we turned down, I think. So I was at like eighth street, I think. And I was like 10th or 11th and we go down there and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> And then he opened his door and I had my phone in my hand and then he had a bunch of cats. I was like, okay, okay. So I'm like, note to self, don't ever do this again. But 
and I and I grabbed him and so I carried him home walking down Lakeshore in my hand oh and then I was like he was so tiny um and I don't know I just picked Miles and then Hank so he's he's an orange kitty um I want it so a friend of mine in Arkansas she adores uh Henry VIII like the Tudor period um and his she's a historian so and she always talks about Henry VIII and I was gonna name him Henry because he's orange like Henry VIII has like because he's a, a ginger but oh. uh then it was a, uh, my partner's like it's two syllables just name him Hank short form so I was like okay so he just we call I call him Hank now and that's I think that's why yeah oh that's so cute <laughs> for some reason I thought it was going to be like oh because we were by Nashville and honky tonk and Hank and Tennessee and like, <laughs> <laughs> both my kitties are Canadian they used to travel with me back and forth but they're both they both got them here in Canada and Toronto area <laughs> uh, we're so I'm like I've never grown up with cats and last year we babysat um Quay actually met it um my sister-in-law's kitten it's it was a ragdoll kitten she paid like oh. money for it so it was like absolutely adorable but we were so not used to it like it would crawl into bed with us and then it want to like cuddle up right by our necks and like lick us. And we're just like, we can't do this. Like, so we had to like keep our door shut and it just slept outside the door. <laughs> we felt so bad, but we're like, we can't. That's my favorite part is when they, Miles and I, sometimes we sleep on the same pillow. Cat sleeps up by my head too. Not on my pillow, but like right by my right by my head, and I have to like move over so she can sit there. And I think like sometimes I want like I'm not I'm so I'm very deep down I'm not very cuddly. Like if you're holding my hand yeah. too much or if you're like I get touched out. But my cat has helped me with that because she's like always always there on my lap or like. But then I feel like she can tell when I'm touched out. Cause she'll put her, her, just her paw on my shoulder, on my leg. (laughs) One limb to connect with you. And that's all we're going to do. And I'm like, thank you for respecting that boundary. (laughs) Sometimes my cats put their hands on my hand or they put it like kind of out. And I'm like, do you want to hold hands? It's like, I'll sit there with my palm open and he'll put his paw there. And it's like, we're sitting holding hands. (laughs) our dog our dog tries to do that too and I always think of like you give them what is the saying like you give them a mile and they take a Mm -hmm. what is it give them an inch and they take a mile they take a mile because he'll like put his paw and then I'm like oh you're so sweet and then he like jumps on me like (laughs) like you're like 80 pounds (laughs) what kind of dog is he he is, he's Pitbull. Oh, oh, okay. So he, and he's like, his name, he was named Frank, like as a puppy. Like we got him as a puppy, but like the sister yeah. already named him Frank. And it was like, his name was Frank the Tank. And he lived <laughs> up to it. Like he's, I call him a thumb. Like he's just like all muscle. Like, <laughs> and we don't like, it's not like we train him to be like muscular, like this like yeah. dog, but he's just naturally and I totally get like, so it's like pit bull or there's um, like bulldogs and then they're like 
they have that bowl in them because they're like a bully. Yeah. Like Frank, he's really sweet, but he'll just like, we'll be walking inside, like walking. And then he comes like bouldering in and like almost knocks me over, or, like knocks Nick over and he's not meaning to do it, but it's yeah. just like him move. That's just how he moves. And yeah. my husband's like, well, that's why he's called a bully. And I'm like, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, I don't know if I told you guys this or told it on the podcast, but one time I went on this date with this guy who had two bulldogs. And you know what? I didn't know what they were. So we went for a walk to walk his dogs. And he was like, if he was like so nice and so cute, I just didn't vibe with him that way. But we sat on a bench and I was like petting the dog and I, and I made like a high pitched voice, like, oh, hi that and then it jumped on me and I was like holding it petting him he's like you're really good with bulldogs eh? and I'm like what he's like normally people are scared and I'm like I looked at the dog in my lap I'm like oh this is a bulldog he's like yeah and I'm like oh well she's very nice was that bulldog like wrinkly because normally like bulldogs could be like English bulldogs they could be like it looked it looked like it would, but it had like broader shoulders. Yeah. So it looked like an intimidating dog, but I was like, oh, this guy wouldn't let his dog be so wild. And then I just like, I I really like dogs, and I don't think they're gonna like. I think city dogs are not gonna bite me for some reason. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> city dogs. There's um and, an English bulldog on our street, and it's named Butters, and it's like. I'm like there can't be a more perfect name for that dog and it just like is so cute thank y'all for listening to part one of this episode of learning about natalie snow next week for part two we'll dive into the meat of our um our topic and natalie snow will teach us more about the criminal justice system and um how it relates to our indigenous peoples see you next week So your podcast, Andes, know that life can be tough. And we want to end our episode with promoting the Hope for Wellness talk line. The Hope for Wellness um, helpline offers immediate help to all Indigenous people across Canada. It is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to offer counseling and crisis intervention. Life can be tough and we've all been there. So call the toll-free helpline at 1-855-242-3310 or connect online to their chat at hopeforwellness.ca. And remember that your podcast aunties love you.